Okay, guys, so welcome to the Physio Plus Fitness Podcast. Got an exciting one today about a topic that I really want to delve into because I don't know a massive amount about. And I think it's really interesting. Me and Glenn were just talking off the podcast about how it's something that physios will come into contact with a lot, but it's not something we really get taught about. It's not something we really get taught to look out for. It's not something a lot of us know how to signpost. So once again, you're here with Chris Lendrum and Glenn Robbins. Um, and we've got a, a guest today, Bella Page, who's going to introduce herself in a, a moment, who is a concussion survivor. We're going to talk about lots of other things as well, but now helps lots of other people with their concussions. So welcome to the podcast, Bella. Thank you for coming on. And if you could maybe um, just describe your, your background as you were doing to us guys a second ago, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Bella and what I do is run a concussion support network that is global. So I help people all across the world just get through life when your life doesn't get back to normal after a concussion. Because sometimes it's not those two weeks that they tell you in the ER, sometimes it's years. So I do a lot of that. So what's your um, background with regards to how did you get into that? You know, what, what was your interest, I guess, what got you interested in that area? Yeah, for sure. So my biggest problem when I was going through it uh, for years, it started when I was in high school, was kind of felt like I was crazy uh, the entire time because I'd go to doctors and they had never seen anyone like me before and they didn't have answers. And if you look in the news, it was just big NFL, NHL football players, like all these players that had had tons of concussions. And that's when they were having problems 20 years into their career. But I was 15. And I couldn't get out of bed. So I really wanted to create a place that people could understand that you could get one concussion and your whole life could get uprooted. And you weren't the only one like that. And then I also really wanted to address the mental health side because everyone was talking about therapies I could try. And I had tried, I don't know how many, <laughs> but nobody ever mentioned my mental health except for once in a while, a doctor would be like, oh, have you talked to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and I do one appointment and never see them again. And everyone was forgetting about that part. And that was probably the hardest part for me other than the headaches. Mm. So going back, when was your first concussion? Oh, when I was little, I was probably six years old. Wow. So you, you were saying before that you were a um, professional show jumper in yeah. was that your, your, was that kind of the first concussions you had or was it doing other things or what was the. So uh, accident prone, hundred percent. That's me. Uh, and uh, avid sports, like I ride dirt bikes now, uh, even though I don't show jump. And I'm very into adrenaline junkie things. So my first one, I was actually snowboarding. And my friend and I were at the top of a hill. We took two different paths and we were going to meet at the bottom of a jump. Well, when you're a little kid, meeting at the bottom of a jump doesn't seem that bad. But now that I'm older, it seems like the worst idea ever. And we met and I sat in front of the jump and someone flew over it and landed on top of me. And they were probably like 18, 20. And we rolled down the hill and I didn't realize I had a concussion. I just kept complaining about my knee. And then I was actually a dancer at the time. And my dance teacher is the one who called my mom and said, there's something wrong with Bella. She's acting really funny. And that's when I realized I had a head injury. But the first few, it was like a few weeks, a few weeks, few months, and I'd bounce back, didn't really stop doing anything. It wasn't until I was 15 that the headache started and I wasn't living at home. And I was a competitive athlete traveling all across North America without my parents. <laughs> and 
that is when the headache started and I hid it for about eight months and then I couldn't hide it anymore. Mm. So when did you start getting, well, okay, let's, let's go back and say <laughs> to your understanding now, because obviously you help support people and, um, and you've had it yourself. What are the kind of like telltale signs that you might have like a, you know, post concussion syndrome, like more of yeah. a chronic issue rather than just your, you know, like you say, your more acute stuff going on. I just want to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, the podcast Compex. Compex is a company that produce exceptional injury recovery tools. Our favorite being their electrical stimulation machine. Both Glenn and myself use Compex with rehab patients, particularly those post-op, um, speeds up recovery of muscle strength, as well as often helping with pain. If you'd like to check out the unit, simply go across to www.compex.com and use promo code HSPhysio for 20% off any products you buy from them. Now back to the show. For sure. So there's a few things. Uh, one of the big problems with a lot of people is headaches. And that was one of my biggest problems was the head pain. Uh, I couldn't read. I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, chronic fatigue is a big one. So despite that you left, for, you might have slept for 20 hours uh, or got a really good night's sleep, but you wake up and you eat breakfast and then you need to go back to bed. Uh, so things like that. And these are like the extreme sides of it. <clears throat> Some people... It's just they really have trouble at work because the lights are still too bright. Uh, some people, the noise is still too much at school and concentration is really hard. Uh, emotional instability is a really big thing where you're getting really angry or really sad about every ordinary things and you don't know why and you don't know how to stop it. Uh, I was a really angry teenager. I didn't realize what it was from. I thought it was just the headaches until we learned a lot more about concussions in the last 10 years was that it was actually something going on in my brain because I used to just like scream, like lose it on my family. I have a lot of siblings and I didn't, I couldn't believe that they still love me <laughs> because I was really mean. And my mom, my poor mom, she was great, but yeah. So it's just all those symptoms that happen after a concussion, just not going away. And usually they don't classify it as post-concussion syndrome until it's after like a few weeks to a few months. And then that's when you get classified in that like category. Hello, I was I was going to um, ask. You mentioned the first instance was the six-year-old snowboarding um, accident, but then the headaches uh, presented at fifteen. Yeah, you, you had several concussions in that period, didn't you? I think, yes. Did you say you had somewhere in the region of ten? Yeah, I've had over ten. Uh, two of them were after I was fifteen. Uh, they were interesting. Um, well, maybe three, three, two, I was in an ambulance for, so that was interesting, but the other ones were, yeah, horse falls, uh, dance accident. Uh, one of them was a baseball accident, which sounds really weird. Uh, so just too many, a lot of hits to the head and it doesn't have to take a lot of hits. I think that's something that we're starting to learn now in research is that it doesn't have to be 40 concussions or, it can just be one and we don't know why that is yet but they're definitely getting there uh, on understanding yeah and I think there's a, a misconception that you almost have to be knocked unconscious as well as and yeah uh, yeah I think that people are changing their opinion on that right mm -hmm. yeah I only blacked out for I think three out of ten of them so the other ones no not at all if anything actually one of them I was 12 I think and there's a lot of them. I should really just like put it on a piece of paper so I can remember what age I was for all of them. But 
Uh, I was riding my pony at the time and she tripped and fell and I fell head first off of her and she fell as well and rolled on top of me. And then I got up, brushed the dirt off me, made sure she was okay, got on and rode for an hour. So I just got back up and that's the problem is that we do just get back up and carry on. Probably at risk of falling again because of the injury initially. And did, did you, um, you didn't black out, but did you notice that your memory would would be affected of the incident or the time around the head injuries? A few of them. Some of them I remember every detail. Like I like the rolling down the hill one. I remember like this. I still remember the snow <laughs> flying in the air. Uh, and I still remember getting carried back to the chalet because I couldn't walk. But then there's other ones where I don't remember exactly what happened, but I could tell you just because now I've heard the story so many times from other people that your brain almost makes it a memory, you know, like, you know, you don't remember it, but someone told you about it enough times that you feel like you remember it happened. Uh, this is because what's piqued my interest is I'm, I'm working much more with fighters at, at the moment. So boxers and uh, MMA fighters and stuff. And I've noticed even when they have won, um, if they've taken a big hit, they often won't remember the round at all. Mm -hmm. So they'll have no memory of the round, which is a really, you know, quite worrying um, uh, symptom, isn't it? When they're relaying back their memory of the, of the fight or the event. And I was at an amateur event on last Saturday and like big head guards and big gloves. And one of the guys that I knew that was competing there took a really big hit in the first round and he had no memory of the first round, you know, so it's, it's, um, I feel scary. like it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's and really that would, that as an would athlete, not be classified it's really as a concussion scary. in that sense. They'd be like, oh, okay, way well, one, you know, um, and, and obviously. Terrifying. The, yeah, exactly. In another instance. Yeah, it's really, uh, I find it really scary. Uh, a lot of it, the lack of awareness of concussions is really scary because it's not really always that first hit. It's the second one. Uh, for example, I have a podcast as well. And one of my guests was a professional bull rider. And he got a concussion the one week and the next week he went into a coma because he got another one. Hmm. And that's a very extreme scenario, but it does happen because your brain didn't heal in between those two. And it takes time for your brain to heal. But as an athlete, it's really hard to take a break. It's really hard. Like one of my biggest problems was I was show jumping and competing with severe pain. And I didn't tell anyone because I was obsessed with being an athlete hmm. and I would just keep going. And one day I finally admitted to my best friend that I was living with that I wasn't okay because I got off my horse and fell. I collapsed to the ground because the adrenaline from like being in the ring, I could handle it. But the second I get off, my whole body would shut down. And same thing with like boxing, fighting, the adrenaline that you have when you are competing in any type of sport is so high that you can just push your body through it. It's the aftermath that people don't see where you're really struggling that night at home, you're in, like have insomnia, you can't sleep, your head's not okay, all those types of things that are kind of scary because it's really easy. And I get why people hide it because you're competitive. But now that I know more, I would really hope my young self would have done something different, but I understand why I did it the way I did because I was addicted to being an athlete. It's a very interesting environment to be in. It's your whole entire life, depending on what level you're at. And you don't want to stop and lay on the sidelines while your friends are still going. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings me on to what I wanted to talk about was 
that awareness piece that you said and um we were saying about how in the uk it's just not really dealt with that well at all by medical professionals and by people in general so i just wondered going back to your experiences what did you you know after you had your concussions what was the kind of advice you were given like what was the awareness of of it at that time for you at the time not much i would get a sheet of paper in the er that would tell you not to sleep which is uh not exactly proven anymore and to wake up, like set an alarm every hour and wake up or something to make sure your brain wasn't bleeding. That was a thing. There's all these things and that was it. And then it said within two weeks, like go back to normal. But now we're learning that within 48 hours, you should start therapy because the sooner you start doing things like physical therapy and all these things, the sooner your brain gets to heal and you're getting on top of it rather than just letting it sit there. But I got given all the wrong advice, like something that used to be really common that probably in the last three years has really stopped being pushed is to go in a dark room. So it would be go in a dark room, hide from the world. Well, I lived in a dark room for two years and then I couldn't get out of it because my brain was so used to being in a dark room. So now I had to not only adapt to the brain injuries I had, I had to adapt to the real world because I couldn't live in it. I had accustom my life to such a small circle of quietness and that dark room because my headaches were so bad. And it's not that I never left, but I was in it for so long that trying to get out of it was a lot of work. And I'm not saying if you have a really bad headache, lay down, turn the lights off, totally get it, but don't live in it. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the problems because it was the only thing they had to to tell me. It's like, go in a dark room, go sleep, let your brain heal. Well, that's not how it works. Mm. and was there you you mentioned before that you did lots of different therapies mm-hmm. was there was there anything that stood out to you as being well both both not necessarily never negative but like just didn't help at all and then other things that really helped or what was the I guess what was the turning corner that or the, the corner that like helped you turn your corner and then also obviously now able to help other people if that makes sense for sure so it's really tricky because when I started this 10 years ago, it's so different than what it is now. Like the medical advancements is like the flip phone to the iPhone. Like it's like just what we know about brains is still nothing, but it's a lot more than it was 10 years ago. So what I started with was whatever my parents could throw me at. So like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, acupuncture, massages, uh, I used to call them witch doctors. My parents would send me to anyone who said they could cure a concussion uh, and other some pretty funny ones. <laughs> like I would just be sitting there laughing and my dad would be in the corner going, she doesn't believe in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that he did, but he's like, I'm paying for it. So <laughs> uh, lots of that kind of stuff. Speech therapy, eye therapy, physical therapy, oculum rotor uh, therapy for my eyes and things like that. So there's a lot of them. And it's hard to say, like, do this, do that, don't do this, because everyone's injury is so different. For example, I have a support network of people uh, that people come on and get the support that they need, uh, more like the mental side of it. But everyone's symptoms are so different, yet so similar. Uh, For example, like one person can't get out of bed every day. Another is working full time, but has lamps in their office all at eye level because lights are too bright. So what they need versus what the other person needs is so different, despite the fact that they could have been in the same car accident. 
but it's very different. But I always recommend to start with your symptoms. What are your symptoms? And go from there and get your blood checked. I don't know why people don't do that. Just get your blood checked because it gives you so many things. Instead of guessing that you need this vitamin and this one and this one and this one and this one, just check. Like it's really easy. It depends on where you're from, but in Canada, it's very easy to go get your blood checked. So I highly recommend it. And then all the physical therapies, I always like to remind people that sometimes it's worse before it gets better. I have a lot of people quit after like two weeks. They're like, oh, I really didn't feel good. It's like, yeah, your brain's healing. So it's going to suck for a bit, but if you suck it up, hopefully it'll actually improve. So Mm. it's just trying to stick to therapies and it's hard though, because remote therapies, you are in the UK. It's not that many specialists in concussion. It's Mm. very limited actually, uh, in comparison to North America. So Mm. they are working on it, but I know there's not that many, uh, centers or like concussion where you can just go to a concussion treatment center and they have every therapist in there that you need. Uh, instead it's like, okay, you have to go see your physio and then your eye doctors over here and your speech therapist over here. And you have to go in every direction, which is fine, but it takes a lot longer to set up a program of medical team when you don't have it all in one place. Like here we're building concussion centers where you go and you kind of, everyone's in the same spot. So See, this is what, yeah, this is, we were talking about this off air, weren't we, before, is it seems much um, more organized in North America. Um, We have all of those services in the UK, but like you Mm -hmm. said, they're all disjointed in a way. So, uh, and in actual fact, um, physiotherapists are are, are well-placed to deliver quite a lot of it in terms of like vestibular rehab, Mm. manual therapy on the upper cervical spine. I know sometimes that's indicated for the chronic headaches as well. Um, exercise again like what I've been reading is um you know the old advice of oh just chill out stay at home in the dark room like you mentioned don't do any exercise you know think of it as a holiday it's actually the opposite really isn't it It to what the the evidence would suggest now it's better to find Mm -hmm. a baseline of exercise and work towards Mm -hmm. that and I still hear that now with clients like oh I'm not allowed to train um they'll go home they'll drink beers they'll eat junk food they'll sleep in all the things you shouldn't do right and um but there's no one overseeing that management so Mm. they might come to me with neck pain from the Mm. kind of whiplash type injury um but i'm not dealing with their exercise tolerance testing or prescription with that side of things they they might have some vestibular symptoms and they need to see a specialist there so it's yeah it's, it's a i believe it's an area that could deal with um improvement and growing in a large way in the uk and and to try and replicate what's going on in the in the us at the moment because i've been seeing a a few different uh, professionals yourself included that are really kind of leading the way in raising Mm -hmm. awareness and raising management of something that's reasonably common you know i mean me and me and chris were talking about used to play high level hockey chris i'm sure Mm -hmm. there's tons of concussions there um, rugby you know that's a, a mm-hmm. popular sport in the UK football mm-hmm. um, cyclists falling off I've seen them head injury snowboarding we've got a snowboard center in uh, Hemel Hempstead just up the road boxing mixed martial arts martial arts in general it's such a wide problem really that is multi-sport and mm-hmm. um, yet still with all the evidence and research it's still being yeah not managed as well as it could be potentially what's what's mad as well in the uk i think is that um even in things like um it's better in rugby but in football 
Um, you had things, incidents, even last season in Premier League football where people with obvious head injuries in the game were refusing to come off and their managers weren't taking them off, even though now in like rugby, for example, there's a forced head injury assessment. So if you get a head mm -hmm. injury and there's any kind of doubt about, you know, losing consciousness or um, being... Um, uh, you know, having a you know severe head injury, you have to go off for an assessment. And a lot of the times last season, I know players weren't allowed back on because they failed their you know head injury assessment. Now in football, that doesn't really happen that much, and it's just yeah. absolutely mad. I know there was um there's a big footballer called Alan Shearer in the UK who was a pundit on one of the the um, football programs when it happened, and he he went absolutely mad and just said this is ridiculous like these are players lives you're dealing with and exactly like you said earlier Bella if you if that then same player takes a big injury big head injury after that first one it could be literally life and death for that yeah. person so it's mad that that we we don't have that same level I don't think of of <laughs> as they as you guys do in North America the other thing I was going to say about the North America the blood test that you mentioned I think yeah Definitely in the in the US, you you really or US and Canada, you you embrace a lot more the kind of integ integrative um, healthcare and holistic healthcare. In the UK, for example, if you went to the, the doctor and asked for a blood test just for like you know just to look at your levels or because you wanted to check certain things, they probably wouldn't do it. Like they'd only really do it if you had serious fatigue levels or serious levels where they were worried about something really medical going on it's not really the dumb thing over here to get them done but I just, they're just so valuable with what you can There's gain so many answers the, in, yeah <laughs> or it gives it you a starting point because sometimes so, sorry you don't sometimes you don't know where to start like yeah my, my head hurts or this hurts or that hurts or I'm dizzy or this but like okay now where do we start from that and physio and all those physical type therapies are really important. And for example, I used to close my eyes and fall over if I was standing up straight. Uh, Cause if I couldn't see what I was looking like, I had no internal, <laughs> yeah, I could just fall over. Uh, or I was always walk into things on my right side and I didn't realize it until my right arm, I like hit a door really hard twice in a row in the same day. And I was like, something's wrong. Why am I walking into a door so hard? Cause I'm like missing uh, like self-awareness of where my body is was really off, but Things like sports, uh, a lot of people that I talked to are just, they slip and fell at home. Uh, they got hurt at work. Uh, Military is a big thing here. Uh, more in the States because I deal with that a lot too, but it's just everywhere. And the sports part is where as an athlete, I get why athletes don't say no, like why they just like keep going and just ignore everybody. But that's where the whole point of having a coach is for. That's where like, I really wish I had coaches that knew more who could have said, no, you're not getting on today. Like you were in an ambulance a week ago. Why are you on a horse? What are you doing? <laughs> like, like who? Oh, I'm not going to compete this week. Okay. But you're still getting on. You're still jostling your brain. There's no reason why you can't exercise, but there's different exercises to do that put you at different risks than falling off of a horse or getting hit in the head with a football so yeah and I mean yeah just just dissecting what you just said there Bella I mean if you're walking into doors and falling over if you close your eyes it's not a great mix for them getting on a horse is it and, and jumping so I mean until that's sorted out you're I would say you're at an increased risk of subsequent oh, sure. head injuries right for for falling if you didn't have those symptoms before you get you were getting on for so. sure 
Yeah, what 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 are the sort of um with the community because you I know you've got a big community of, mm-hmm. of people who've got concussions and you chat to them on your podcast, which I thoroughly recommend people go and check out if they're interested in these topics. Um and what would you say they're the main I know you kind of mentioned them earlier, but out of, out of that support group, is there kind of a, a really common theme of symptoms that you would say, okay, because there'll be m- maybe people are listening who have potentially mm-hmm. had some concussions and they're thinking, I get the odd symptom, but I'm not sure if it is true post-concussion syndrome. So what is kind of the real telltale signs, would you say, of, of someone that you know needs to seek help, needs to seek treatment? Yeah, I say if you have any of the symptoms seek help (laughs) that's just me I always think uh in our world today we're always like oh I have back pain and you ignore it well sometimes it's okay not to ignore your pain and go see a doctor but uh I think the biggest things probably in the communities that I'm around and the one that I have is headaches fatigue and emotional instability is probably one of the biggest ones it's one of the biggest things that you don't realize, but your partner realizes, or like your parents realize that you're not okay. Uh, You are not who you used to be. uh, And that's okay. And you might never be that person again, but you can still work on those things. You don't have to be angry at the world. You don't have to lash out on people constantly. You don't have to cry. Like depression is a really big thing after a concussion, uh, suicide, uh, risk goes up by four to five times, uh, after you've had a concussion. So your mental health is a big thing that gets missed with this. So that's a big thing. You know, maybe you don't have headaches or you're not dizzy all the time, but you still don't feel okay. Well, there's definitely people out there to help with that. So Mm -hmm. those types of things I think are important to look out for. And like, I always had to remind myself when I was a teenager was that it's not normal to be in pain every day. It is not, despite what I convinced myself that I had a headache every day. I used to remind myself, it's not normal to be in excruciating pain every day or to be so dizzy that you fall over when you get out of bed or that you can't stand on one foot. These types of things aren't normal. And we will just carry on as people to, we adapt. And there's nothing wrong with adapting, but you can also go see professionals and hopefully not adapt as much. Yeah. And you you mentioned the mental health piece, which is, I know, mm-hmm. I know is a piece that you really sort of um, are quite focused on as well with regards to, so I, w- I wonder what the, or do you know, like what the research suggests that for that, the reason for that is, is it kind of um, a change in physiology brain wise? Is it a mix of the change in function that then limits what the people can do or, you know, a combination? Do you, do you know what the why the increased risk of mental health problems happens after concussions. For sure. So some of the research, they call it primary and secondary causes. So for example, primary causes is the injury itself. So the eye dizziness and like you said, the brain actually being damaged and chemical changes going on in your brain and hormones are a really big problem after concussions. Pituitary dysfunction dysfunction is very common as well. So those types of things can be a problem. And then secondary causes is like, you can't go hang out with your friends because you're a teenager. Uh, You can't go to work. You can't take care of your children. You have trouble making food for yourself. All of a sudden your house is a mess. So secondary causes are like all the life changes that you're dealing with because of your primary causes. So 
I find it's very big combination of both. For me, my mental health, of course, was affected because my brain was injured and very ill. And I spent a lot of work doing hormone treatments and things like that to get that on track. But the other thing was the secondary causes. Retiring as an athlete when you're in your 20s, when you could have done it till you were 50, it's very difficult. Uh, I didn't have any other plans. Neither did my coaches, neither did my parents. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have to do something else with my life. And I always tell people it's okay to have a different life. Like I have a very different life than I planned and that's totally okay. But the frustrating part that I've struggled with for years and have overcome is that the only reason my life didn't go as planned was my health. And that's very frustrating as an athlete or anything. Like it's not because I couldn't do it. It's not because I couldn't go to work. It's not because I couldn't, you know, get a master's degree or go to school or whatever. It's because my health didn't let me, I couldn't write a test because my head became too bad or my memory was so bad that I'd sit in a classroom and walk out and didn't know what the professor said. So there's so many little factors of those secondary causes that really do affect your mental health because your life changes. And what we work on a lot with people is how to kind of get that back in a way that you're happy with. And is is that approach looking at things like CBT? Is it looking at like, are there certain therapies that you find are really effective? That is it just awareness and discussion with those people? And obviously it's, there's going to be some case by case, but do, what sort of therapies do you find, you know, really helpful in that stage of, mm-hmm. you know, talking more specifically about the kind of mental health side of things? Yeah. So my number one recommendation for mental health is talk therapy. And if you have PTSD, EMDR, very strongly recommend, which is light therapy where the lights go back and forth. kind of looks really funny. Most people don't believe in it, but the research is getting better and better for it, for PTSD. And your PTSD is something just to mention, doesn't have to be a bomb going off or a horrific car accident. PTSD can be a sports accident where you're so nervous that somebody hits your head, or you can have PTSD. uh, For example, I had PTSD from being ill as a child. I was ill for years growing up through high school And my PTSD was the stress of that. So it doesn't always have to be one horrific event. It doesn't have to be like the movies where, you know, you're hiding in a corner with your PTSD. It's not always like that. Sometimes it's just you're cooking and all of a sudden your whole body has chills and you can't cheek a feeling. So I just think it's important to mention that it's not as simple as TV makes it seem. But talk therapy is really important. Speech therapy is important. Speech therapy is not how to talk. It is how to communicate with others. And that can be really helpful when you have problems with word finding or memory and things like that. Or you feel like you can't communicate with others because, you know, you don't feel great. Uh, So it can be really helpful for that. But talk therapy is very important to do, but it's very important to try again because you have to find someone that matches with you. And you don't have to match with your doctor or your coach or anybody else as much as you need to match with your therapist like that, because you are talking about everything and their techniques might not match with you. For example, I went into different therapy sessions and because I was younger, my mom would come with me sometimes and she'd be like, you're never going again, are you? And I'd be like, nope. She's like, they said the wrong thing. And I'd be like, yep. And the biggest thing I wish I did was I would either keep trying with the same person because the first few sessions, you don't get anything out of them. They need to get to know you first. Uh, 
it just sounds really long because when you're paying for it, it's expensive, but you kind of have to suck it up for a month uh, just to tell them about you. And then the other thing is to try another person. Maybe you didn't click with that therapist, or maybe you don't like their, maybe their method is mindfulness and you don't work. That's not how your brain works. Maybe you need something else. Well, then go to another therapist. There's a lot of them. And there's a lot of them on the internet too. You don't have to go sit in a chair in a room. Uh, uh, They do. Uh, And you can do that. It is a thing. If that's what your comfort level, if you want to sit there with a blanket and a tissue box or the therapist and eat candy, I've done it. You could totally do it. You can also just sit on a screen or text therapist nowadays, but it is important to keep trying. And then it does come back to the blood work and pituitary dysfunction because there's a lot of hormone levels that can be off that can greatly affect uh, your mental health that can be checked for now, which is really great that we know about that now because we can help people with it. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny when you mentioned it before about the PTSD, um, it reminded me of um, this talk that I went to uh, in London once with a, um, it's not, it wasn't a head injury, but it was a ex Olympic um, skier, UK skier, um, a female skier called Shemi Alcott. And she had a really bad um, jump injury. So she she fractured her foot really badly, but it basically kind of ruined her career. Essentially, she lost loads of funding from it. Um, and she came in to talk about the the I was working at a gym at the time and the gym I was working at was actually sponsoring her to get her through her rehab from that injury. And she came in to do a talk just about experiences, et cetera. And mm-hmm. she said, I'm going to show you the video now of the injury because it happened during a, a, a trial, I think, for the Olympic Games or Winter Olympics. But she was like, I need to leave the room because I can't watch it. Even on video, I can't watch the fall that I had again. So it just shows like things like that where I'm not I'm not saying that was necessarily PTSD, but there's these things that it doesn't have to be like events that are not necessarily absolutely like life threatening or ridiculous. Oh. But obviously, psychologically, that meant a great deal to her. You know, that can you know be to the point where she couldn't actually watch video footage of that injury just shows how, you know, you know, things are very different for different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. And then in terms of your um, community, so going back to that, with regards to the different people, how much, I mean, it sounds like an obvious question, but like obviously the, they're getting amazing amounts of support from each other, I would guess, right? Because they're then realizing that actually they're not alone. There's other people in the same sort mm-hmm. of position as them. How does it kind of work with regards to the community? Is it kind of a, a you know, is it a Facebook group? Is it on on part of your website? Like, How does that work? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I have the podcast, which is just everyone can listen to it. It's just kind of open to the world. Uh, and it's kind of crazy. I was, I'm always shocked every time I look at like how many countries it's in. But uh, I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know how many countries there are out there. I should really look at that because I'm getting there. But uh, <laughs> one of the biggest things is called Concussion Connect. And so what Concussion Connect is, is a way to connect with other people who have had concussions and brain injuries. So it's just a really supportive community. I post things on there. Uh, Some of my guests get, uh, for example, uh, guests go on there too uh, from the podcast, but I post stuff that people don't see on the podcast, things like that. But what it really is, is it's not a Facebook group, but it's kind of the same thing, but it's separate. So my biggest problem with Facebook groups when I was going through this was that it's connected to my personal world. Mm. And I would post on 
a brain injury support group on Facebook. And then I'd get like 10 invites to be friends with people. Mm. I was like, "Mm, I don't really know you. We're across like, I'm a teenager. I'm really young. Like you're a stranger on the internet. I don't really want you to see my whole life because the rest of my life is on Facebook Mm. with like kids and friends and family and partners and all that stuff. So what it is, it's on another uh, separate website. And so it's the same thing. You have a profile, you can follow people, you can chat with people. Uh, There's a page every week we do check-ins. There's a support group every Wednesday where we all meet together and actually talk. And we have a topic every week and there's like giveaways and stuff like this, just kind of fun. But it's really just a place for people to ask questions. Like the other day, somebody asked about uh, therapy for something. somebody was having trouble. They need to get on an airplane that day and they were freaking out, uh, because of their headaches. Uh, so little things like that. And it's just the little things that you need help with that. If you ask your friend, they look at you like you're kind of crazy. And it's like, I'm not crazy. These are real problems that I'm dealing with, but now you have a community full of people that can answer you and be like, Oh, I get it. Cause I went through that. Or I got on a plane for a vacation a month ago. This is what I did. This is what helped me. Mm-hmm. So I really like that factor, uh, because, it's really inclusive and it's really safe. Your other world is completely separate. You don't have, this is, you can come on here, be in your safe place and then carry on with your life. You can come on it every day. You can go on it once a week. doesn't matter to me, but it's just a safe place that people can go and ask questions, answer people, give updates on their life. People really like to do that. Uh, complain about symptoms that they have mm-hmm. and all that, that kind of thing. But it's a really good community. I'm very attached to everyone on it now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great. Sounds like an amazing resource. Um, yeah. I think we link that to the show notes, Chris, isn't it? So yeah. anyone with a symptoms can can kind of reach out. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, Bella, obviously we've talked a lot about the um, uh, the negative effects of chronic concussion symptoms. Um a lot of people will recover well after a, a, yes, a concussion. Sure. Um, do you know what the percentage is roughly of people that will end up experiencing longer term uh, effects? Yeah. So it's changed. Uh, it used to be like 1%. <laughs> now it's about 10 plus. Okay. So they say 10% and then they say 20% depending on, then there's factors like age, previous mental health, previous concussions. It's like one of those things where there's one of the hardest things about this that you if you've been listening, you probably got the vibe is that there's so many factors that it's kind of overwhelming uh, when it comes to the brain. It's not a broken arm. It's really complicated. It's really hard to assess, diagnose, treat, all those types of things. So they say over 10%. Uh, so one out of 10 people, but that could just be three months. That could just be six months. Uh, it doesn't have to be years or life. Mm. Uh, it's still really pretty hard. high though, isn't it? It's, still pretty it's high. a lot higher than it used to be. It used to be like one in a hundred people well, maybe still deal with symptoms after a few weeks. And now they're realizing it's a lot longer. And sometimes you might just not notice you just adapting them yourself. And in three months you are just better and that's okay. Mm. But if you can be proactive about it, there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. My, my, my first thought would be that it maybe was always 10%, but just getting a lot better at um, identifying it and reporting it and recognizing it. Now. 100%. That's literally literally what I was just about to say that is probably be- being better reported now. People feel maybe I think obviously in the wider ether, 
and this is a, this is something I think is a very very good thing is that mental health issues and those sorts of things are being more widely talked about by lots more people it's more accepted now it's much more mm. you know especially like you know obviously for guys in the past it was something that you wouldn't really want to talk about as much um and now is much more talked about so I think yeah I think definitely that's that's part of it are there any kind of big myths still and you mentioned a few earlier but are there the are there biggest myths really about concussion other than maybe the one you mentioned about the dark room but any mm. other ones that you hear or in your groups for example things that people ask or or pink things that people assume in the community that, that like you know gets asked all the time or just something that you just go no that's a total myth uh there's a few things uh one thing only comes to mind because somebody said it to me the other day but you already had mentioned the blackout you don't have to blackout I think it's really important to realize that you know you don't have to really do anything you could hit your head hard enough and just carry on with your day it doesn't have to be this big monumental thing but uh, something I think that is important to recognize just because I had this conversation and it was uh shocking for me and that is that you can get a concussion and it can greatly affect your life but it doesn't affect your intelligence. <laughs> I had somebody ask me the other day if I was dumb because of how many times I hit my head. And I was like, that's not really how it works, but thank you. Uh, but there's a lot of myths just about like, it's been this many weeks. And I think that's something we're getting really good about in the pro sports. We're really behind in college levels and high school sports and especially children for this is that it's not a timeline. There is no number of weeks to get better. There is no number of days of therapy. It is strongly depends on you. That's why there's get like back to sport testing, back to school testing. Uh, another thing I strongly believe in is not, a lot of people just stop going to school when they're younger. Go to school. Like if you have the family that's supportive, then figure out a way that you can still participate because it's really good for your mental health. Uh, I did not, I refused to drop out of school, but was advised about six times to, and I refused to, I found the accommodations. I got the help. I went once a week. I went once a day for an hour, but it's a very important environment for you growing up as a child. So, you know, I get resting, take a month off, but keep going. Cause like, if you can go to, if you can go play hockey, you can go to school. And mm -hmm. I strongly believe in back to school before back to school back to sports if you can't go to school all day should it be playing in your sport i'm sorry <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and i get wanting to but like if you can't sit in a classroom all day then you definitely should not be on the ice or on a field or anything like that but that's really important to know because i think people miss that and yeah the biggest thing is there's no timeline there's no oh i did it's been six weeks or it's been two weeks it's been four weeks i'm going back doesn't matter. It's not a broken arm where we know in six weeks, a bone usually heals. There is no timeline. So that's why we have testing to see, are you better? Are you okay to get back on the field? Cause maybe you are this time, maybe after three weeks, you're great, but maybe next time it's a few months and it really sucks to take the break, but take it because older you will appreciate it mm. because I would have appreciated it if I had taken breaks, I would have liked to have a memory that works. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think it's interesting. It fascinates me with the whole kind of um, well, personality changes as well and how like it's almost 
also something I guess is not just about the individual person dealing with but also family and friends dealing with that Mm -hmm. as well because you mentioned earlier about that you know there might be on the dependent on the size of the concussion there might be some long-term changes that happen Mm -hmm. I know that um there's a guy in the UK called James Cracknell who was a a ex-Olympic a rower who got not he did the um across America bike race and he got knocked off by a truck and basically almost died and he had a massive head injury and then it's been uh, unfortunately um over the news he um split up with his wife and his wife was saying that a lot he, he felt like a different person basically like was completely different and he acknowledges a lot of that as well um i know there's another there's an amazing documentary called crash reel which is about about mm-hmm. a snowboarder um who has a who's like hopper i can't remember what his name is now um but he's right at the top of the world basically vying out Mm -hmm. with sean white for the top spot essentially he beats him in a few comps he's just doing amazing he has a horrific fall on half pipe jump and um has this head injury and there's this documentary charting his progress through to getting back onto a snowboard and he does it and it's just i just i just it's so inspirational and so amazing but he's quite a changed person and his friends say that his family will say that he isn't the same person that he was so I guess there's also that element, isn't there, of of not just working through your own mental health demons, but also having to deal with maybe friends and family mm-hmm. acting a bit differently towards yeah, you because you might not be the same person. Just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to say, guys, if you're enjoying it, which if you've got 45 minutes in, then you probably are, then we would really appreciate it if you could go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review or review us on your favourite podcasting platform. It massively helps the podcast to develop, to grow, to get more listeners. The more listeners we have, the better guests we can get on and produce better content for all you guys listening. So thank you all for listening. And I would really appreciate it if you could go and leave us a review. And now let's get back into the podcast. It's really missed uh, family and friends. Uh, We talk about it on the podcast a lot and we talk about it on social media a lot because my family, nobody said anything. And... I didn't really realize it until I was older, but nobody said anything. And it wasn't really just my parents. Like, yes, my parents were going through this. Nobody explained to my mom that there was one medication they would give me in the hospital that would make me want to, that would make me rip an IV out of my arm and scream. So nobody warned her uh, of any of this. And I was like, why? Like, nobody's talking to her or they'd either talk to her and talk over me. Like, you know, you get either or you get where they've not even talked to you because you're a kid or you're a patient, or they never acknowledge your parents so that are even in the room. And no one warned them that I could have severe depression. And maybe they didn't know at the time too, but I still think it would have been nice for them to be uh, warned that I was super ill mentally, not just physically, because <laughs> I wasn't telling them. I could, wasn't in the place to explain it. We talk about this a lot in support group. So it's okay if you're not ready to explain this because you don't even understand it yourself. So how are you supposed to explain it to your family of what's going on or your wife or your children? And so we talk about how to do that a lot because there is some steps you can take. But the other thing I thought that really got missed was my siblings. So I'm one of four and I have a little sister and two older siblings. And my older sister is a nurse and I used to get something uh, we called them pain attacks there's a lot of science behind what they actually are now. It has to do with autonomic dysfunction, but my whole entire body would go white. It wasn't an anxiety attack. I would be a hundred degrees and I could stand outside in minus 40 and still be 
really, really hot and I couldn't breathe and all these things would happen. And my sister once was calling 911 when it happened. And I was like, no, no, stop. Like, don't do that. And she was crying and I'm standing outside in a t-shirt trying to cool my body off. Like nobody, like, I know my parents could have tried, but like, they didn't even understand. So what were they supposed to do? But I think it would have been really nice to sit them in a room and explain because my little sister, the biggest problem was I didn't get up and go to school for about two years uh, at around the same time as she did, or she would see me at night. Uh, I did really good at night because I'd sleep all day. So by the time she'd get home from school, I'd be like up eating dinner or something. And I'd go back to bed when she'd go back to bed. And, but then I wouldn't get up with her when she'd go to school in the morning and she would just scream. Like if I have to go to school, why isn't she going to school? Like that, that kind of stuff. But she's like 12, 11, like how she's supposed to know. Or uh, I forget a lot about the trauma that they went through uh, from it because I was so ill. So for example, I'm an adrenaline junkie, uh, huge problem uh, to be with accident prone and concussions. Uh, so I like dirt biking and I ride dirt bikes on the ice in the winter and I go really, really fast and jump them and do all these things. But my siblings hate it, like hate it. Don't want to hear about it. Like I send them pictures and now they're supportive, but I still remember last winter I went ice racing for the first time and I walked down into my parents' house because I need to get something and I was grabbing extra layers because it's really cold and my little sister is standing at the top of the stairs screaming at me about what I'm doing and how I'm gonna die and be like not gonna talk anymore and I'm gonna be in a hospital for the rest of my life and I had to remind myself that she watched me go through it and I went through it but I've there's like a wall like part of it is because I have no memory of a lot of the stuff I went through and the other part is that in therapy I kind of built one up uh, on how to like move on from it. And one of the ways of moving on from it was letting the wall down, accepting all of it and now putting it back up because I don't need to think about it all the time. So that wall is up, but I forget that it's not for my siblings. So when I do get hurt or I call them from the hospital, uh, which happens once in a while happened when I was in the States this spring and they're all, every single one of them call me, they're all, we're all on the same trip, but I went dirt biking for the day. And they're all calling me. One of them's crying. Like, are you okay? I injured my shoulder. My head was fine. (laughs) But I forget about the stress that I put on them because I really was very ill, like, and not sort of ill. Like I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, I lost almost 30 pounds in three months once uh, from a medication that did not do well. My writings changed. Uh, My memory was terrible. You could ask me something and ask me it again. And I couldn't tell you what we just talked about. Uh, like all these things. I was in severe pain. I would get out of bed and collapse at the tops of the stairs. Sometimes I'd fall down the stairs and I forget that they watched all of it uh, and they were young when they watched all of it. So it's just really important to remember that your family is going through it. Not as the same way, but just as much as you are, especially if you live with them. Hello, mm. I've got a question about your adrenaline uh, junkie side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's more out of interest really i've i've heard this with a lot of people that have suffered kind of trauma that when they do a sport or activity that's high risk or with a lot of adrenaline or riding dirt bikes motorbikes whatever it may be that because they're so hyper focused on that moment they actually find it quite relaxing and um and de-stressing you know so yes yes. uh, so 
<laughs> yeah, I can explain. So I was back to riding horses uh, full time and living away from home and like get up at eight in the morning, ride horses all day, get home, go to the gym, work out, plan the next day for riding and compete and all that. And I did it for a little while. And then the headaches came back and I was sitting over a bucket wanting to puke. So then I decided I need to do something because I can't just do work because that's not how I was like, it's not how my brain works. Uh, I'd already graduated from school. So I was like, okay, well now what? So I did a whole summer of trying sports (laughs) that were safe. And so I would ask like everyone I knew, what do you think I can do where I can't hurt my head? And it was like hilarious suggestions, like try knitting, uh, compet- speed knitting, uh, like all these types of things. And so I tried a ton of things. And actually what I got into was archery because I'm, uh, I have perfectionist side of me really liked it. Uh, Cause really about like body awareness and focus. And that part of it was really good from being a high level athlete, but there was no stress relief from it because there was no rush. There's no rush, not in the way that I needed. So that's how I ended up starting dirt biking. Uh, and I actually noticed that if I don't do it for about a week or two, my whole body is tense. Uh, and if I can just get on even for like 20 minutes, my whole body, uh, relaxes and de-stresses. It's like, there's no other place in the world. So I do it for my mental health. Uh, sometimes I talk about this a lot on the podcast and with people is that sometimes you have to put your mental health before your physical health, as bad as it sounds. Mm. Sometimes it's got to come first because mine does. Uh, so it's not like I'm not safe about it. I don't get on without a helmet. I wear a neck brace. Uh, I don't fly into the air and do backflips yet, but, (laughs) but I, uh, really do need it. Actually. I find I need it more than most people would understand. That's amazing. Um, cool. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you've been very, very generous with your time. But um, did you have anything else, Glenn, that you wanted to ask at this stage? No, I, I found it fascinating, Bella. It's been amazing. I think the the, the most kind of powerful um, message to me was when you said that um, you didn't feel yourself, and that idea of like being in a situation where you're kind of uncomfortable in your own skin. It's a surprise that it's not 100% of anxiety and depression associated with that with these concussion um patients um so that really stuck out to me and then uh, i think as we've spoke about it more just the the complexity of of so many components that you have to look at and so many um different symptoms from different injuries and different people it's it's kind of explains why it's so difficult to manage there's not like a a recipe that you can just give out in an er room unfortunately so yeah i've really found it fascinating thank you yeah, and we'll, and we'll definitely link, obviously, the all the resources. So if people want to check out Bella's podcast, we'll link that in the show notes. We'll link across the um, website and the you know the community as well. Because I think, yeah, anyone out there that's listening that maybe has got concussion or knows people that have got concussions, then it would be useful for them to be able to reach out and get that support that they need. So, yeah, but thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Is there any, any of your social links that you wanted to give out to people while while you're here? Yeah, for sure. You can find everything at Post Concussion Inc., uh, Instagram, Facebook, website, all that kind of thing.com. But yeah, I would just always like to remind people to take it one day at a time because that's the only way that you get through this and focus on what's important to you because that's really important in therapy. If you have kids, then handling noise is really important. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you got to pick and choose what to work on for what your life needs. Yeah, I've got um, a new I've got three kids, but one of them is 12 weeks old at the moment. So I can definitely relate to the uh, noise at the moment. <laughs> so there we go. Um, cool. Well, thank you thank very, very much for coming on. But it's been, been brilliant. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Really fantastic podcast with Bella. I just loved a different topic I don't know a lot about and learning about concussion. And we've got some more guests coming on the show soon to talk about concussion in terms of treatment of that for physios, which is great. Once again, guys, I just want to uh, refer you over to the Compex website for www.compex.com. And this website is great for all your recovery tools. Me and Glenn use them all the time. Don't forget to use your promo code HSPhysio if you do so for 20% off. And I will see you all on the next podcast. Cheers, guys.